Well, Merry Christmas to all and to all a good morning. It's good to see everybody here this morning. No doubt many of you are still looking for those perfect Christmas gifts. Here we are 11 days away from Christmas, and so if you haven't shopped for your family or friends yet and you're looking for a few ideas, in case your ideas are running dry, I have a few ideas for you this morning. Of course, for your kids, there's always clothing, right? Now, just make certain that if you buy your kids clothing, you pay attention to the tag that's on the inside of the clothes. Supposed to be. Your Jim's clothes don't have tags, and there it blows that. Um, can you click on the PowerPoint slideshow up there? See if we can get it working again. There we go. Okay. Now, the reason you have to pay attention to what's on the inside of the clothes, this one says wash inside out and remove child before washing. <laughs> Very helpful safety tip, isn't that? Well, I'm still waiting for someone to develop the clothing that you can leave your kids in when you wash it. I mean, think of it. Think of all the time and energy that would save at bath time. Very green, huh? I like that idea. Here's another gift idea. Maybe some of you are still in the Stone Ages, and if you're in the Stone Ages, you actually have CDs that you listen to rather than MP3 files on your smartphone. Well, this handy CD case of 24 of your favorite CDs will uh, include music, you can include music, you can include maybe a popular Bill Sullivan sermon series. And the cool thing about this is that this particular CD case automatically becomes portable when carried. You see, that's what it says on the bottom. Unit automatically becomes portable when carried. Don't you love it? Of course, Dave Troutman also becomes portable when carried. But I don't know anyone who wants to carry Dave around. All the Beths over there thinking, I've been carrying Dave for years. <laughs> then for the ladies in your life, how about this handy manicure set? You like that? Even works on the toughest of fingernails. Or nails. Of course, gifts are a wonderful element of the season, aren't they? And rightly understood, they're appropriate for us as believers in Christ to give gifts in honor of the one who gave the greatest gift of all, the incarnation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the Word, and more so, He is the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. But a passage that's often overlooked at Christmas time, but actually has everything to do with Christmas, as we'll see here this morning, is in John chapter 1. It's on the cover of your bulletin this morning, at least some of it. And as we begin, I want to ponder these truths about Christmas with this song. We're going to watch and listen to this song.
Anybody heard that song before? A few of you have? Yeah. Great song. It isn't a new song at all, but for years, the phrase that is near the end of this song, eternity stepped into time, has captured my imagination as I think about these things, especially at Christmas. So it isn't really a typical Christmas song, but in my mind, I can't really help but think of the incarnation when I hear these words, the day that Jesus became flesh and was born into a human body like yours and mine when I hear this song. And the phrase, eternity stepped into time, says something that we don't often think of during the Christmas season. Christmas is a time when we should think deeply about our faith, not just about the events of that very first Christmas, the day that Jesus was born, but all it means for us in time and all it means for us in eternity. Here we have the eternal son, Jesus, who was with God in the beginning. The beginning of what, you might ask? Well, the beginning of time. Think about this for a second. Even time didn't always exist. God lives in eternity. Time had a beginning. God didn't. He is, in a very real sense, eternity itself. He created time so that everything wouldn't happen for us at once. Think about how confusing that might be. And it might sound funny to think of it that way, but many theologians believe that God views everything that has happened, everything that is happening, and everything that will happen as one eternal now. It's all in front of him at the same time. When Jesus said, I am, he was claiming the name of God who also identified himself as I am. Applied to God, this is speaking of his eternal existence apart from time. This is so much a part of the essence of God that this is his name, I am. I am that I am. We'll look at this some more in a moment. Now it's clear that God does interact with humanity in time. And he did this even before Jesus came. John tells us in John chapter 1 verse 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is perhaps the clearest statement of Jesus' divinity in all of Scripture. So the phrase, eternity stepped into time, is a phrase rich in meaning. And the truth of this lyric, the implication of this truth, really is very important for us to understand as we try to understand the gospel itself. This message is called, In the Beginning Was the Word. It's one of those great foundational truths of our faith. It's important to ponder because of the profound and startling implications of this truth. Jesus always was. Think about that. Jesus always was. There was never a time when he wasn't. Though we celebrate his birth at Christmas time, what we're really celebrating is his birth into human form. That's another great doctrine of our faith called the Incarnation which we must reflect on this morning too in relation to Jesus' pre-existence. The Bible teaches us that though Jesus had a human beginning, the person of Jesus Christ does not, like we human beings, have a beginning. So let's think about this. There was never a time when Jesus didn't exist. He pre-existed his incarnation. He was before he was born into human form, even before he was conceived miraculously inside the womb of the Virgin Mary. Now think about it for a second. 
we all sometimes, I don't know, maybe you don't, but I kind of like to think about what it was like when I was born and before I was born. The world was a different place. Did you ever have one of those sheets for your birthday that says what the world was like the year you were born? You ever get that for, in a birthday card or something like that? Well, I was born in 1956, and I have to say it was a very good year. I know at least three others here, Lynn Clutter and Dory Shupak and Jim Grinnell, who were born that year and can attest to how good a year it was. Anybody else born in 56? Okay. So we have, we have five of us actually here. So a very, fairly sizable segment of the congregation born in 1956. In 1956, the first transatlantic telephone cable between Newfoundland and Scotland was completed in 1956. The Oklahoma Sooners were 10-0 and 0 that year. Three of the top ten songs of 1956 were by Elvis Presley. Heartbreak Hotel, Don't Be Cruel, and the flip side of that was Hound Dog and Love Me Tender. That was 1956. Among the most popular television shows that year were I Love Lucy, The Ed Sullivan Show, The Alfred Hitchcock Show, Gunsmoke, and The Jack Benny Show, most of which you can still see on TV somewhere, even today. So it's kind of interesting for us to consider what the world was like before we were born or the year we were born. That's because we didn't exist before we were conceived. But you know what? Jesus doesn't need a list like this. Jesus not only existed before he was conceived by the agency of the Holy Spirit as a human being inside the womb of the Virgin Mary, but he existed before Mary. His earthly mother even existed herself. In fact, he was her creator. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. We celebrate Jesus' birth into the world at Christmas time. But it's only his human birth we celebrate. In one sense, Jesus doesn't have a birthday like we do. And yet he does have a human birthday, just like us. However, in his essence as God, he never had a beginning. Even a very traditional scripture. We, you know, John 1.1 1, 1 is not a traditional script, Christmas scripture. We don't always hear that read uh, around Christmas time. But there's one that is heard often at Christmas time. It's Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Now, usually when we hear this scripture read, we kind of marvel at the prophecy of Micah. He actually predicted the birth of Jesus hundreds of years before he was born. And what's more, he also predicted the genealogy of his birth. The promised king of kings, he said, the ruler over Israel would be from David's line. But let's notice what else Micah says about this coming king, this ruler that's anticipated by Israel. Micah says that his origins are from of old. His origins are from ancient times. The Hebrew here is literally days of immeasurable time a clear indication that Jesus always was and he existed before he was born. Let's consider just a few of the many passages of Scripture that confirm this great truth of our faith this morning. In fact, there's a lot of verses we won't even look at this morning which also proclaim this amazing and wonderful truth. And we're also going to try to see why this is important for our faith. We need to develop, folks, we need to develop an appreciation for these foundational truths of our faith, the doctrines of our faith. Because, you know, think about this. Without these foundational truths, 
the seemingly more interesting, more exciting things that we get worked up about, the more applicable things that we can apply to our lives, can't stand at all. None of them can stand without this foundation to stand on. So remember that as we move forward here this morning. Lest you think this is just dry, boring doctrine, it has a lot to do with our faith. What we're looking at is an essential part of the whole building, the whole building of our faith life that God wants to build in us in the Gospel of John. You know, in the Gospel of John, there is no account of the birth of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? The other three Gospels all have an account and give various details of the birth of Jesus. But in John, there's nothing. John, rather, preferred to overlook this part of the Gospel story and go back to, as we've noted, the foundational truth that makes the birth of Jesus even more amazing than it seems on the surface with these Christmas stories that we're very familiar with and that we read from the other three Gospels. Now, a baby born to a virgin really is pretty amazing. But who this baby was and is, his preexistence and as the maker of his own mother is more amazing still. Let me read the whole first three verses of John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3, and then we'll jump down to verse 14 in a second. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, again referring to the Word, through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. So as far back as man can think, to the beginning of time as we know it, the Word, Jesus, was already there, folks. How do we know the word referred to in John chapter 1 as Jesus? Well, we read that in verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. It's very clear. It's very clear, folks, that John is referring throughout this chapter to none other than Jesus Christ. Jesus is who he's talking about. The same ruler that Micah prophesied would be born in Bethlehem, the same one who is from of old, from ancient times. And John just confirms this. As far back as the beginning of time and before that, the Word already existed. Jesus tells us that John, the living Word, has always been in relationship with God the Father. He's not created like we are. He didn't at some point come into existence. He did not at some point begin a relationship with God the Father. In eternity past, before the beginning of time as we know it, the Father and the Son have always had a relationship. Verse 2 says, He, the Word, was with God in the beginning. Now, that's our understanding of beginning, not His, because God didn't have a beginning. We see these things... Uh, spoken of this way because there's no, no other way we can even begin to wrap our minds around it unless we have these time factors, beginning, end, you know, those kinds of things. Remember a moment ago how we noted that doctrine is such an important foundation for what we might see as the more practical and useful things of our faith. Let's think about a few of those. Jesus taught us to love one another, didn't he? That's immensely practical, loving one another. That's something you can really apply to your life. Jesus also said he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us. That's also very practical. It brings comfort, it brings strength, it brings courage to know that, doesn't it? That Jesus is always with us. Jesus said, abide in me 
and you'll bear fruit. There are many practical applications to this. If we live in him, he'll use us. Isn't that a great thing to think about? Jesus taught us about having faith in him. Faith is very practical. We can apply faith to so many different situations in our lives. But here's what we need to see this morning. As we look at the preexistent Jesus who was there, not just at the beginning of time, but before the beginning of time as we know it. The things he taught us, and we just mentioned a few of the many things that he taught us, and what he did, the miracles he performed, his suffering and death for our sins, these things are absolutely inseparable from who he is. Let me say that again. All these things that we think of, all the admonitions Jesus gives us, even in his own words in the Gospels, the miracles he performed, the suffering and death for our sins, which is the reason he came, these things are absolutely inseparable from who he is. The practical applications of faith mean nothing without a clear understanding of just who it is we have faith in. That's why this is important. John shows us here that Jesus is not only the Word made flesh, which we read in verse 14, making Him fully human, but that He's also fully and completely God in the flesh. One commentary says, although Jesus took upon Himself full humanity and lived as a man, He never ceased to be the eternal God who has always existed, the creator and sustainer of all things, and the source of eternal life. This is the truth about Jesus and the foundation of all truth. If we cannot or do not believe this basic truth, we will not have enough faith to trust our eternal destiny to him. That is why John wrote this gospel, to build faith and confidence in Jesus Christ so that we may believe that he truly was and is the Son of God. When we look at verse 2 of John chapter 1, he was with God in the beginning. We see that Jesus did not become a person for the first time on that Christmas night when he was born into human flesh in Bethlehem. He became human that night, but it wasn't the beginning of his personhood. Also, little sidebar, he did not somehow become a God, little g, after his resurrection as some teach today. He, Jesus, is the Word. He is God the Son from all eternity, eternity past, from of old, as Micah said. Let's take a look at some other passages from the book of John. It's interesting because John doesn't include the, the uh, Christmas story itself, but he includes all these things that enhance our understanding of the Christmas story. So we're going to look at a few verses. First from John chapter 8, verse 58, and then we'll look at verse 59 in a minute. Verse 58 says, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus speaking. Before Abraham was born, I am. Now the Jewish reader would understand this as a very clear declaration that Jesus was saying, I am God. I remember having a conversation once with a person who grew up as a, Jeho uh, as a Jehovah's Witness. Now this person told me that Jesus never said he was God. Well, it's true in one sense. Jesus never used those precise words. He never said, I am God, quote, unquote. But the passages of Scripture that we look at this morning not only direct us to look at the truth that Jesus always existed, but they inevitably also point to the truth that Jesus is God in the flesh. When Moses asked God his name, 
He responded the way that Jesus did here. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. It's the ultimate declaration of self-existence. I didn't need anybody to create me, God says. I've been here. I've been around. I've been around the block way more than you had. How many parents have said that to their kids? God's the only one that can say that in an ultimate sense. Jesus' repetition of this, his declaration of himself as the great I am, is one of the most incredible, most powerful, important statements in any of the Gospels. Not only was Jesus saying that he existed before Abraham was born, but he was clearly, undeniably claiming his divinity. He applied God's holy name, the name he used, the name God used in speaking to Moses. Jesus applied that to himself. If there's any doubt in your minds how the Jewish reader, uh, the Jewish leaders that Jesus was speaking to understood this, that's why we want to look at verse 59. John 8:59 says, "At this, in other words, at this statement where Jesus said, "I am," they picked up stones to stone him. Why were they so upset? Why were they so upset? What Jesus was saying that day was, I am, meaning I've always been, I've always existed. Now, to the Jews, that was clearly and undeniably blasphemy, if it wasn't true. It was worthy of stoning to death because only God has always existed. And they understood that from their own scriptures. Let's look next at John chapter 12, verse 41. Here we see John referencing the prophet Isaiah. And in the context of our look at Scripture this morning regarding the preexistent Christ, I want you to notice something. John says that Isaiah saw Jesus' glory. Now, you may remember this story from Isaiah when he saw God's glory in chapter 6. That's what John's referring to here. We're talking about Isaiah chapter 6, beginning with verse 1, and then we're going to look at verse 5. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And then in verse 5, we read Isaiah saying this, Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When we read the Gospel of John, we see that the King whom Isaiah saw The Lord Almighty, whom he saw, was Jesus, the pre-incarnate living Word of God. John says that Isaiah saw Jesus centuries before Jesus was born. John 12, 41 says, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. It doesn't say he foresaw. It doesn't say he had a future vision of Jesus. It says he saw Jesus. Now, we must remember that God is one God in three persons. That's another related doctrine called the Trinity, which we don't have time to address adequately this morning, even though we're clearly dancing around the edges of this doctrine too. But the glory that Isaiah saw that caused him to fall down and say, I am ruined, I'm a man of unclean lips, clearly included the glory of the pre-incarnate Jesus. Isn't that a great thought? Isn't that an amazing thing to consider? This passage from John makes it clear. Isaiah saw Jesus before Jesus was born. 
The next passage of Scripture I'd like to spend just a few minutes looking at is this one. It's from John chapter 17, verse 5. Let me read that. And now, Father, this is Jesus praying, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. This is a part of what is often referred to as Jesus' high priestly prayer, his prayer to his heavenly Father in advance of his own suffering and death and resurrection. So here's Jesus, and he's anticipating these events, and he's also expecting his return to the glory he had with his heavenly Father before the incarnation, before his life on earth as a man. It tells us a couple things. It tells us at least something of what Jesus actually had to set aside to come and live among us, to become God in the flesh. It tells us he was in the presence of God the Father. It tells us he was glorified. It tells us that this was his state before the world began, before he was incarnated in flesh. So did he begin in Bethlehem? This verse makes it absolutely clear. Before the world began, in eternity past, Jesus existed. He was in glory that we cannot even imagine. And he gave it up for 33 years to live among us, to live in human flesh as we live, to know hunger, to know thirst, to know pain, to bleed, to suffer, to die for the forgiveness of our sins, and then to rise again to return to his glory. Now Jesus in his prayer here is saying, God, restore us, in other words, you and me, restore both of us, to the glorified relationship that we had when I came to earth, before I became to earth, before I stepped out of eternity into time. A writer named William MacDonald wrote of this passage. He wrote, before Christ came into the world, he dwelt in heaven with the Father. When the angels looked upon the Lord, they saw all the glory of deity. To every eye, he was obviously God. But when he came among men, the glory of deity was veiled. Though he was still God, it was not apparent to most onlookers. They saw him merely as the carpenter's son. Here the Savior is praying that the visible manifestation of his glory in heaven might be restored. The words glorify me together with yourself mean glorify me in your presence in heaven. Let the original glory which I shared with you before my incarnation be resumed. This clearly teaches the preexistence of Christ. Before we prepare to sum this up, let's look at one more verse from John. It's in the same chapter, chapter 17, as the last verse that we just reviewed. It's John chapter 17, verse 24. This is, again, still, Jesus is still praying here. He's praying to God the Father. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. This is an important passage in relation to the preexistence of Christ because it reveals in a new and fresh way something we haven't seen before in these others. The bare fact of his preexistence is here, but there's something even more important here. It reveals in a new way his heart for you and his heart for me. Because look at what he's praying. Jesus could have stopped at verse 5, which we just read. He could have said, okay, Father, I'm ready to be restored to my rightful place. I'm ready to leave this place where my glory is veiled. I've done my job. I've done my time. I've done what we planned before the beginning of time. I'm ready to come home. He could have left it right there. He could have left it at that, but he didn't. He didn't. This verse shows us quite clearly that he doesn't want to spend the rest of eternity 
without his people. That's you and me, folks. That's us. The lost people that he came to seek and to save. He wants to have his people with him in this same glory that he experienced before he became flesh. Think about this. Every time, every time a believer in our Lord Jesus Christ dies, it is an answer to this prayer that Jesus himself prayed for us a couple thousand years ago. Isn't that a neat thought? We see that answer. Every time a believer dies, this believer is immediately with Jesus in his glory, just as Jesus prayed here. Because Jesus chose to love us by becoming flesh, by taking on humanity, by suffering and dying for our sins and being raised from the dead. Because of these things, we too can be with him. Be with him in the same glory that he had before the foundation of the world. Back before time began. Back before time began when it was just Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now why is all this so important for us to begin to wrap our minds around? Of course, this is one of those things even as Jim talked about last week. This is one of those things that we can't fully grasp. This is one of those things we can wrestle with all day long, all night long, all week long, all month long, all year long, and we won't fully grasp it. But it is important. I believe the understanding that Jesus is eternal, that he stepped into time to save us from our sins, to take our well-deserved punishment for sin upon himself, but also so we could understand God's love for us. These things also show us why he is worthy of our worship, why he should be the center of our lives, why he is worthy of our wholehearted devotion. He is worthy of our trust, folks. These truths that we're exploring here and just scratching the surface of this morning, these truths tell us why He is worthy of our trust, why we can trust the eternal Son with our eternal destiny. Titus 1-2 says we have a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life which God promised before the beginning of time. We read in 2 Timothy 1.9 where it says His saving grace was given us in Christ Jesus when? Again, before the beginning of time. So after creation, God worked Himself through Jesus into our time. And He communicated understanding to those of us in time so we could grasp these truths. Before time began, the Father and the Son loved each other. They had a plan there was communication and promises were made to each other about our redemption before we even needed redeeming. These are marvelous truths to ponder any time of year, but I think they're especially poignant at this time of year when we remember the human birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm going to close this morning with a poem that celebrates these things. I think it's actually on the back of your bulletin. It's called Praise God for Christmas. It says, Praise Him for the Incarnation, for the Word made flesh. I will not sing of shepherds watching flocks on frosty nights or angel choristers. I will not sing of a stable bear in Bethlehem or lowing oxen, wise men trailing star with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Tonight I will sing praise to the Father who stood on heaven's threshold and said farewell to His Son, as he stepped across the stars to Bethlehem and Jerusalem. 
And I will sing praise to the infinite, eternal Son who became most finite, a baby, who would one day be executed for my crime. Praise Him in the heavens. Praise Him in the stable. Praise Him in my heart. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that eternity stepped into time to save us from our sins and to help us understand the great love and mercy, the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your plan of redemption that was set in place before the beginning of time. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the relationship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit who worked to redeem us before we even needed redeeming. We're grateful for these truths, Father, and as we celebrate this Christmas season together and remember the incarnation, the enfleshing of a divine Son, Lord God, the eternal Son, we're grateful, Father, for the love that this demonstrates. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, that we can truly trust our eternal destiny to the eternal Son. We thank you for these truths, Lord. May they resonate in our hearts, even as we sing our Christmas carols together, even as we celebrate by giving gifts to one another, even as we celebrate by being with family and with friends during this Christmas season, Lord. May we never lose sight that eternity stepped into time so that we could understand. May we never lose sight that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We're thankful for these truths. In Jesus' name, amen.